Today's episode is brought to you by people who are unfortunately not playing Tears of the Kingdom right now. Stay song, my brothers. Our time will come soon. You're listening to an overrated podcast. He is Odeveta, my name is Sagar J. Kamnani, and this is the Overrated Podcast where we figure out what is deserving of the hype. Uh, I'm assuming you've started the game? No man, I haven't. I haven't started the game, so, so let me give you a little timeline here. The game comes out, what is it, May 12th. May 11th is when we leave out of country. May, I think it was 22nd, is the day that we come back. Then we have like three days back, and then for another three days, we're out of town again, back in L.A., and then this is the first day after that, and we're recording a podcast. So I literally have not had probably a single free night with everything going on to play Tears of the Kingdom. And and I want to do it justice. I want to go into it like like playing a little bit of Breath of the Wild just so I get back, get myself back into the universe, get back into the world, and then go into Tears of the Kingdom. But I'm I'm getting quite a bit of FOMO uh, watching other people and watching the builds and all that kind of stuff. So I'm I'm very much looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm just I'm just been really shitty about content lately. Surprisingly, I think me and you have talked about it, but I'm kind of going through a bit of a a bit of a I work in my passion industry, and when my industry is so res- like ridiculously out of whack, sometimes it's a bit tough to keep the passion a bit. So, in terms of just content everywhere across the board, and film, TV, video games, like. It has been really hard for me to open up to new stories at the moment. My entire media life can be summed down to two shows on television that are both, as of this moment, finished up. Um, series finales and everything. This episode is going to be a an ode to Secession, one of the one of, for my money, one of the greatest shows on television. Because even in a very dark time, I kept watching Prestige Television. So give me your general thoughts on season four as it progressed. Like, so, just, just kind of like, you can go episode by episode if you want. You can go like, I wasn't feeling it, but then like certain point happened. And then I started like, you know, you can do whatever. How, how do you? Yes, yeah, obviously, we'll, we'll give a blanket spoiler warning for everything that happened on Succession. Um, like it's pretty much up to the end. I think that's that's a good a good thing to keep in mind if you're going to listen any further here. I was obviously disappointed that they were going out on season four when the announcement was made that this would be the final, uh, the final season, but I kind of got it. And I, I do appreciate when, when shows are self-aware enough to go out on top. And I think that's a, it's a really bold decision, right? Cause if they wanted to, I think they could have made this, they could have kept this an above average to occasionally elite show for probably another two, three more seasons, but they decided to keep it consistently elite and go out on top. And I think that's again, it's it's not it's not an easy financial choice to make. It's it's probably not even an easy artistic choice to make, right? Even though you would think it makes her a better story, you, if if you put so much time into making this story, then you probably want to continue making this story for as long as possible. So I thought it was a great choice. Um, so so going into season four, uh, obviously we we have a, a kind of a, a big uh, a big turn in the end of the previous season where we have all the siblings coming together that that's kind of how we leave the end of season three 
and season four kind of starts and, and we get right into it, which is something I always appreciate about the show. They don't like, even though a large part of the show is, is dicking around and just having like fun conversations, the plot doesn't ever really dick around. Like every, every scene has kind of a purpose, whether it kind of goes back to the fundamentals of TV where, where every scene should either like build character or advance plot. Every scene does that in the show. So as we started the season, you think we're kind of in this no man's land because things aren't happening in the sense of like, Hey, we're not, we're not, we're not really addressing the plot of capital S succession. Uh, but it feels like these, these, these scenes are all, all important. And, and the first couple episodes kind of do a good job of getting you back in the world. And then stuff starts happening. Obviously in the third episode, that's the big, big spoiler where Logan dies. And hilariously, the episode is called Connor's wedding, even though it has very little to actually do with, with Connor's wedding. Uh, talk about another pretty ambitious choice. Right, killing off your main character and, and kind of the driving force, the beating heart of your show so early, right? People thought, of course, Logan is going to die, right? Or, or believe that very strongly, but they didn't think it was going to happen maybe until the seventh, eighth episode until we're in the home stretch. To have in the third episode, when you have, you know, seven episodes of, of runway to go, uh, a really, really, really big deal. Um, and I thought that was, uh, it, it was ambitious. I thought that episode, I, I wouldn't call it like a, a fun episode by any stretch, but it felt like a very real episode. It felt like an episode that, made this show stand out beyond anything that we see on television, right? One of the things that the show does really well is it lingers, right? It kind of stays in the moments, right? Whereas another show would kind of move on to the next scene, Succession stays in that and kind of plays it out. Like, okay, well, what if this is a real life, right? In real life, you don't get to advance to the next scene, right? It stays in the moment. And that was highlighted in that episode, especially. And after that, we're pretty much off to the races. Every single episode has this kind of big event uh, going on related to it, right? The next episode, we we learn that Shiv is pregnant, and then we have that little piece of paper that that Logan scrawled on it. The the episode after that is like the Living Plus with Kendall's big presentation. The next one is the the tailgate party where where Shiv and Tom have that big uh, blow up on the balcony. The next episode is the election. The next episode is the funeral, and the next episode is the series finale. So I thought this the show got stronger as it went on, and the finale, I think we'll talk about more specifically, um, but the finale made some some really, really interesting calls. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I was locked right in from, because I, I, I caught up to the end of season three, probably like maybe six months before season four came out. So I had enough time to like, I feel like that was a sweet spot where I had enough time to digest like the show I just watched. The first like two episodes, I was like, oh, "Man, the kids are just full of them. Like, the kids are just on some bullshit." Like, I I, I like that they're calling Logan out, like that scene in the karaoke uh, room, and but you know, Logan hits them with that line that that I think carries over for a lot of Secession fans is the the you know, "I love you guys, but you are not serious people." You know a character is incredibly well done where if their absence has like an effect on the world, not to the point where it hinders things happening, but to the point where like you can feel not only his loss, but you can feel like the how that's affecting all the characters around you. Um, I would probably more so in, in the novels than, than in than in tv but i would say like 
you know, Ned Stark's death in Game of Thrones. That's something you really feel throughout the rest of the books because he's just still that guy and everyone just keeps talking about him and how amazing he was. And it's it's kind of the opposite in Secession where Logan dies and everyone's just kind of like, despite how despite how he may have been, it, 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 there's a very clear weight. I think from there, it just it just keeps getting crazier and crazier. Like and like, what a fucking ending! Like they they stuck the landing so well for me and i i just it's just like by the uh, like you know what i messaged you right when it was over i was like this is this is one of the greatest shows of all time like i just it, generally speaking uh, a lot of people i guess there are some resistances with with just people watching the show in general and like i totally get it everybody has their reasons as as you guys are going to find out when we're discussing our top 10 shows list um both other and i have pretty egregious omissions of of things we haven't watched but how would you convince somebody to watch this show and if the elevator pitch is what is this show about to you and how do you kind of get them get people to get over the whole like i don't like shows or like based on shitty people kind of thing because i i used to feel that way too ish um but <laughs> i mean it's just really fucking good if someone was like i am not interested in secession but I'll give you a few seconds to be like, explain what it is about to you. Then, then what's your, what's your pitch? It's real simple. This show could be nominated for, for best TV show in both comedy and drama. That's it. That's the whole pitch. Even in the serious moments, it manages to to kind of have a levity to it. There's only maybe you, you can count them on one hand, the number of moments where like the music's not playing, the camera's not doing, it's like weird zoom dance thing where we're kind of, uh, catches up with the character as they're walking away and 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 delivering some snide remark. There's only a handful of scenes that are that are just pure drama where they abandon the comedy entirely because it's so important to the plot. Secession is just about a bunch of rich brats fighting over daddy's inheritance. Why do I want to watch that? So like, what is it? What is it like about to you? Well, the show is about relationships, right? It's it's, it's and, and the creators have said that the show is really about specifically the relationship between Tom and Shiv. That's, that's kind of the beating heart of the show as far as they see it. Um, it. It's about the relationships, the interplay between the siblings. It's about the individual relationships that the that Logan has with each of the kids. Even if the, the log line makes you think, oh, these are all millionaires and billionaires and, and whatever, who, who, you know, why would I even want to care about them? My pitch would be like, hey, I watched four seasons of this show. And even though the one of the characters the character who dominantly loses the show, right? Ken, he, he's the loser at the end. He's made $2 billion. Right? There's, there's no reason to, to feel sorry for him. He's, he's cashed out. He's gotten a share. He's going to lead a rich, lavish lifestyle. But at the end, you feel sorry for the guy. You're rooting for the guy. You feel That'll so bad for him. It, it, yeah. It's about relationships. And these characters are, are so well fleshed out, so well written and so well acted that despite all of how, how, how such terrible people they are you want them to succeed you're rooting for them you have favorites the best the best like television like compels you it moves you and because you resonate with something you can really resonate with this show i think somebody our age is that legacy media as an industry is 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 in a very interesting place at the moment and tech is is coming this company 
that they've built Waystar Royco, right? It has the same legacy media properties as like as like, you know, the former Viacom CBS would. There's this book actually that um I was recommended to read about the Redstone family. Kind of the previous battle between like Viacom and CBS merging and being separate companies and everything and who was it going to go to in like the media empire? It's called Unscripted. And the logline of this book is um, addicted to secession. Well, here's the real thing from the Hollywood Reporter. <laughs> there is real life inspiration. Like, you know, the way this company has parks. So like Disney has parks. Like this company's got cruises. Like this company's got like their own fucking Fox News division. And like that's that's like Fox sold off shop to Disney. They kept their news division as 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 Logan wanted to do here because they see the value of that asset. And then not only that, because this concept has always been approached in art where like, even if somebody's at the top of the world, can they still be empathized with and humanized? And um, you guys can like bad characters. Like, I think it's okay to just like a bad character or just like a villain. Like, I think that's fine. Like, I don't think people have to do these mental gymnastics to try to convince everybody that like the, the villain is like the victim. Like, I hate this with, with one of my favorite shows <laughs> fandoms. I hate this with avatar, the last airbender fans. Like just tell me you like Azula. I don't care. But like, if you try to do these mental gymnastics about how Azula was like this fucking victim, like blah blah blah, and like all this shit, she abused Zuko too. And similarly, like to this show, like the the main character you alluded to, who is not a good guy, I I like I somewhat am moved by Kendall a little bit, and I, he's not a good guy. But I don't need to do any mental gymnastics to say like why I like him. You don't have to have to be a one percenter to, to know what it's like to be the oldest son and have that kind of pressure put on you. I think actually a lot of South Asian guys can 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 relate to that. And it has nothing to do with our worlds in general because I'm a child of immigrants and, and Kendall Roy is a fucking billionaire. Like that being said, I think it's defined by you by Ewan's line at the funeral. The poison drips through. That's what this show's about. At the end of the day, the show is also, I know, like, usually when we talk about shows with, like, generational cultural trauma, we think of, like, diversity, like, super diverse, like, led shows and stuff. It's here, too. It's, it's, it is quite literally a theme here, too. And that's what I would say the show is, like, actually about to me to convince somebody to watch it. Like, so we're going to talk real quick, take a tangent before we get back to the show. We're going to take a tangent towards Emmy nods. Um... As far as Hollywood Reporter goes, I'm going to give you some shows that are like the competition. Hypothetically, the competition would be Barry and or uh, Better Call Saul, White Lotus, The Crown, and House of the Dragon. This is all hypothetical. The actual Emmy nominations aren't aren't out yet. I would say the only one of those that I think has a claim at just being a better show is probably just Barry out of all of those. Have you been watching season four of Barry? Yep. I'm, I'm, I'm all finished with that. I actually watched this. I, I haven't, I haven't started any of it. <laughs> I, I, I finally remember the days when Barry used to be funny, but just a, just a heads up as you watch, this is no, this is no longer a funny show in the slightest. It, it has a hard, hard pivot into being a very, very dark show with occasional like moments of levity and or, is the other one. It, it is really, really fucking good, but I think the end of the day, it is still Star Wars. 
when when stacking it up against a show against like Secession, like do you think that affects it at all just because it already has a world to build off of? Yes, although I, I, if, we're, if we're talking about what, what has a better chance of winning, I agree with you that that Andor will get pushed into oh it's a you know a big fantasy sprawling IP thing. I get it. Um, as far as the quality of it just being a TV show, even though it is part of this whole other thing, it's also not. Like you could watch mm-hmm. Andor really not knowing anything else about Star Wars or about the galaxy or about anything. Um, and you can probably get 90% um, of, of, of the enjoyment out of it, right? Obviously, you don't have the appreciation for like, oh, they're building parts of the Death Star. and The Death Star is important for X, Y, and Z region, reasons. Um, but you still get quite a bit out of it. So I don't think it leans on the Star Warsiness of it. Um, so, so as far as comparing it just show to show, uh, one-on-one, I, I would still give it a, a good shot against Succession, but yeah, you're right. In, in the real life um, aspect of it, you, you're probably accurate in saying it, it suffers from being a Star Wars property. You don't think like Better Call Saul, White Lotus, The Crown like stack up? I think White Lotus is fantastic. I think it's hard when you're an anthology series um, going up against the final season of of a show. I think that that's where what you said about having continuity and having a world to build off of it comes in. Succession has three seasons of its own world to build off of, whereas White Lotus kind of doesn't. Beat for beat, do I think White Lotus was was more like tightly scripted and, and incredibly acted? Uh, maybe. Again, it, it's real close. It's real close. Better Call Saul, you know, it, it's a cardinal set of mine. I watched the first two seasons, and I think I just never picked it up when the third season came out. So I actually can't speak on that one. But from what I hear, it's it's amazing. It's fantastic. Let's talk writing. Um, what do you think Jesse Armstrong stacks up? I, I think writing succession is definitely... Like with Barry, it's kind of the full package. Like the, the cinematography, um, some of the acting, some of the um, some of the writing as well. And I think Bill Hader is, is fairly well liked around Hollywood. So I think that's uh, another leg up on it. Whereas, you know, with, with uh, Mark Mylod and Jesse Armstrong, they give these Brits coming in um so that's, that's a little i guess inside baseball on the real life aspect of it but here's the interesting part of it and i, I don't know how much of the behind the scenes you you've kind of consumed in terms of like watching the after the episodes and, and listening to the, the interviews given by like some of the actors and the creators a large part of the show is improvised like even in the final episode i think where kendall goes back into the boardroom after shiv has turned on him and kendall goes back in and and Frank or whoever it is tells him like, oh, you've lost the vote. A, a large part of that scene was improvised. Um, and, and you can see side by sides of people put it on YouTube where they show the scene and then they have like, they're scrolling through the script at the exact same time. And you could see how much of it is just not in the script straight up. So I don't know how much that actually hurts it. But with that said, I mean, obviously 90% of it is still a written show. So I think it stacks up pretty darn well. Um, I would probably have it as the, I would probably have it as the outright favor over anything else. Um, okay, let's talk let's talk acting. So just within the succession guys for lead actor, we have Jeremy Strong, Kieran Culkin, and Brian Cox. Brian Cox probably doesn't win, right? I mean, he wasn't you know, he's submitting for best lead actor, but he was only in like three, four episodes really. I'm surprised that they're they're doing it as a lead actor, because I think yeah, he's definitely a supporting actor this season. Kieran Culkin also moved up from supporting to lead. Like, so he submitted his lead this time. So between Kieran Culkin and Jeremy Strong, I hear a lot of differing takes on this. What's yours? 
I'm probably not in as quite as in love with the whole Jeremy Strong performance as, as everyone else seems to be. Everyone else is like, oh, he's the, you know, probably the best actor on TV. And he's obviously great. I, I just think that Kendall is so not one note, like one note is, is kind of, you know, disrespectful to the performance and to the character, but he, he, he kind of plays Kendall in the same way and he has played Kendall in the same way for so long like you, we, we all kind of know like though like the Kendall like mannerisms right the speech of it and, and he's he, de- he definitely has mastered that character big shoes big big shoes big big shoes yeah well this season I thought that Kieran Culkin just got to do a lot more from going outright fascist to then just being kind of a broken person and Kendall's been perpetually kind of a broken person going back all the way to season one and, and what happened to him there, or rather the events that he instigated. So I would actually personally, I'd give it to Kieran on this one out of those two guys. I am, I'm one of those people that is very enamored by the Jeremy Strong performance. And I think he really na- nails like manic episodes. And I think that's really hard to pull off seeing him in a man and being like, okay, Kendall's still like an, a, like a recovering addict, just like how his brain goes. You know, when he was telling the siblings in the finale, like, Logan has put this on him since he was seven years old. I, I do have to agree with you on the writing. Like, just the the, the thing I love about the writing of the show and just everything about it, it, just it doesn't hold your hand. It lets you as an audience, like, figure this shit out. Like, when we find out that Kendall's middle name is Logan, like, that just kind of, you know, adds another layer to, like, God, how much fucking pressure was um logan putting on kendall and 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 to add to that it, it's a super small detail right it's literally written on a piece of paper no one says anything about it it's not a point of conversation it's just there for like three seconds on the screen and the show moves on but it's an absolutely crucial detail like you said there's so many scenes like that if jeremy strong gets it i think he seals it either in the finale or he sealed it in the um funeral episode like especially his speech and everything but Everything I said about Jeremy Strong, you can almost say the same thing about Kieran Culkin and Rome, because throughout the season, you're finding out just how, and again, they've never outright said it, that Rome was abused by Logan, like, physically. They never outright said it. He's, Logan slaps, like, Rome once in the show on screen, and everyone's like, what the fuck? But then you just keep finding out how much of, like, a almost like a fucking like a masochist Rome is again same thing I feel like if Kieran sealed it it was probably at the funeral right like the funeral breakdown my heart wants to go with Jeremy Strong but I feel like it's a lot closer than anybody gives it credit for for like supporting actress I think obviously like amongst the secession people like Sarah Snook probably has it I don't think anybody else is submitting in that category but do you think Sarah has competition in best lead actress or supporting actress. I forgot which one she's submitting in. Uh, and on any of those other drama shows I mentioned. So like, I don't know the, who I forgot the actress playing Sally and Barry, or, you know, I don't know if any, I fuck it. I don't know. Maybe the actress playing Mon Mothma and Andor, like just, just think about like the top female leads of these shows. I'm sure house of the dragon. Like I'm sure Olivia cook and, um, well, what's Emma, Emma, I forgot. Her Emma last name or, yeah. They're, they're going to be, up there probably assuming if it follows like this so i don't know what's your what do you think about sarah snook's chances against everyone else in her field and then 
pick pick a secession guy. So like, let's say we go with Kieran Culkin to to go with your point. Uh, what chances he have against like you know Bill Hader? I think the girl from Barry, who's the actress whose name I'm forgetting, she's really freaking good. <laughs> she's she's really excellent. The thing that I think works against Sarah Snook, if anything, is that she's even though it's supporting, she is kind of like depending on the episode, she can be like the fourth or fifth most important character on the show. Whereas like with Barry, you know, Sally is the second most important character on that show and on and on. You can go down the list and, and talk about that. I think Olivia Cook, people have kind of forgot because House of the Dragon was like eight months ago now, but I thought Olivia Cook was really freaking good, even though she was in again. Well, she was in half the season, right? Cause they did, they did the whole time jump thing. So, so it's, it's really hard. I, I don't really know what to do with that. Mar Mothma, like, I mean, she's good, but you know, She's not really that like she, she not that she's not important to the show, but she's not central enough in the show to for me to really consider her performance. Because I feel like sir, I feel like people will be looking at Sarah Snook to to win her category. I mean, I feel, I feel like everyone's going to be looking at all the secession people to win all their categories. It's kind of the thing. So, um. you know, the the one other thing that could work against Sarah Snook is that a lot of people don't like that character, which is obviously not her fault at all, right? Um, but they don't like how the character was written. And, and, and I think that's, that is for, for all the, the good things and great things that the show has done, including mastery of its characters. That is the one character, which even I feel like they, they never fully understood and, 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 and fully made me believe in if you want to hold that against her at all, which I don't know that you should, um, but, but some people might. Let's talk about supporting, I feel like we can just eliminate Nicholas Braun from this. I'm, he might be nominated. He has been previously, but eh, I, I wouldn't really give it to him. Yeah, I mean, if, if, if you talk about Ken with one note, like, like he's really funny. He does a whole awkward thing really well, but I mean, it's not, it's not like best supporting actor worthy. Matthew McFadden has won it before uh, as Tom. Obviously, I would put this season's Tom as 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 just even more well acted. I think this is the most well-acted Tom has ever been, or maybe it's just the best Tom has been as a character. I don't know, but also, and I want to shout this guy out just in general, just Alexander Skarsgård. (laughs) I have seen this dude in like four or five different things now. And I I just, he just (laughs) like, okay. Granted, he's always playing somebody kind of psychotic, but like he's, he just does it so well, and he does different psych like he did, fucking abusive husband psycho in in Big, Big Little Lies, and then and then he did fucking like revenge, um, sworn Viking psycho in The Northmen, and then he did fucking tech bro psycho in Secession, <laughs> like. And they're all so different. It's like same, same, but different, but enough for me to just be like, dude, this guy is fucking incredible. In this finale that I'm over here super emotionally locked into, like, they just did, like, fucking... All the, all the siblings just aired out their dirty laundry. Like, they did Meal Fit for a King together. They're, like, all ready to go in and um get Ken, Ken CEO, and then... <laughs> Cuts to Matson being like, "All right, wake up, zombies! Time to activate! Come on, phones! I want to see some fucking phone." <laughs> I'm just losing my shit because the way he did the fucking phones line, I'm just sitting here dying. Um, 
Okay. So that being said, would you rather give it to Matthew McFadden or Skarsgård? I would say Skarsgård, and it's not close. Like it's, I, I, it's I love, close? I love Matthew. Mc, yeah, I, I love Matthew McFadden. Like he, he, his character was obviously super important this season. But like to 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 walk into Brian Cox's house and take over his show because that character has to die. That's a, it, it, it's KD coming onto the Warriors and then winning Finals MVP back to back. That's what it is. Like it, it's 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 crazy shit. Like he, I, I thought one of the pitfalls of the show as I'm watching episode three and I'm thinking, wow, they killed off Brian Cox with seven episodes to go. Like there are a lot of scenes in this show which are just carried by kind of the gravitas that he brings and and he lends this show a bit of credibility, right? Without him. There's uh, like it, it kind of loses the drama aspect of it just a little bit. It kind of veers into comedy because it's about everyone being so ridiculous and being so incompetent. But he is the one kind of shining beacon of like, hey, he is a big deal. He is who he is because he was good at his fucking job, right? He he's the only character where when when he says something, you believe it to be true because of the the the, the kind of aura he brings. And without that, not only do you need someone to fill that role, but you also kind of need an antagonist. Right, like we've seen the the kids squabbling with each other for three seasons, but they they still need some kind of force against which they can unite, and that that force presents itself in the form of Madsen, played by Skarsgård, and just the number of electric scenes that he had, like the one you said, and and, and kind of like the the way he hams it up from time to time, like he he kind of plays up the what is it? He's like a Swedish, he's Swedish, right? I think he's doing like a Swedish accent. He like plays it up from time to time. They have to go to his house in Norway. Then he comes, you know, over to America, and just the way he does it, it, it it's so masterful because it, it, it's not cartoonish, but at the same time, it is a little bit like it, it, it is very like aware of Elon Musk. It is very aware of these kind of um, these these tech titan billionaire uh, uh, Sam Bankman Freed uh, types, but at the same time, it's it's not just a, a straight up parody. It is something that is true to life. Like you can believe that some crazy fuck like this would be out there and would exist and would be somebody who's in control of very, very important things for which they're probably not qualified. And at the same time, <laughs> they bring all of the energy that Brian Cox had to bring up until this point. So I think for, for that reason, um, it, it has to be him. It has to be Skarsgård. <laughs> you said that. And then I thought of like the episode where he was like, um, tailgate party episode where he's talking about the india numbers which which just shout out that of course it had to be india but like the fact that like all his subscriber counts were were like fucked but also just like how easy it was to bury the news like oh my god like there's just so many moments on the show where i'm just like you know this bullshit happens in real life and it's just ah so like Anyway, yeah, that, that, so that line where he was like, yeah, like laughing at Shiv, and he was just like, "Yeah, it would only make sense if if there were there were two idiots." I was like, "Jesus Christ!" <laughs> Since you bring that up, I, I want to also point out about the show is that it has a way of kind of going from episode to episode simultaneously. When you're in the episode, you feel like whatever they're talking about is kind of the biggest deal, and then the next episode. It doesn't matter anymore, but it's not in a way that leaves you frustrated or confused or just annoyed at the fact that the show doesn't seem to have stakes. The stakes always seem to be really high, but at the same time, the episode is able to move from plot to plot kind of seamlessly. Like like the, the thing you talked about, the India numbers, when they brought that up, 
that was a big fucking deal. Like that was the reason that Ken thought that he could win the overall battle. But then you go to the next episode and you're like, oh yeah, we, we, we released the Indian numbers and no one kind of cared. And we're, we're moving on to the next thing. So I, while we were talking about all the great aspects, I just wanted to bring that up as, as one of them. What a fucking incredible show. I might stop to do that again like two or three times this episode, but I, I do have to give Matthew McFade and his flowers a like just what incredibly acted scenes. Those two that I mentioned, like it's a British guy and an Australian girl <laughs> uh, doing two Americans and it's it's flawless. I know. I completely like didn't realize that until like the after the episodes. I was like, what the fuck? And then, meanwhile, Jeremy Strong just sounds like Kendall, but you never know. Maybe he's just doing that because he's still being method. I had, God, I had no idea. Let's go into the main siblings um, and just kind of talk about where they started, where they ended. Do you think they won anything at all? And because we can agree that all three of them lost, but did they win anything at all? Or and what do you think was the most poignant part of their ending? So let's start with Romulus Roy, Mister Dick Pick to his dad. Straight up, the, the most I have laughed at any scene in a show in my whole fucking life. That was the funniest. That was the funniest shit that has ever happened on screen. I swear. I even I even told you because I knew you were coming up on the episode. I'm like, prepare yourself because you are in for it. Sorry, go on. I I would argue that and the I and I, I think I told you this when I finally watched it. Um, it's it's either Roman's dick pic or in the episode where where Logan's like having a UTI or something or is like all loopy from medicine. Um, the imaginary cat. <laughs> that that <laughs> I would argue that part too. I feel like Rome's whole thing can just be summed up on his ending line, which is just we're bullshit. I think that's just finally hitting acceptance in the grief cycle. Um, what a like just fabulous performance by Kieran, just showing representing a character with shaped by physical abuse, mourning the loss of his abuser, managing to do everything else he does in the process. When him and Kendall did the hug. Like that's such a that's such a hard scene to interpret, and I've seen people share different uh, like lights on it. Do you think Roman asked for that because he again felt like he like a masochism thing, or do you feel like that was Kendall realizing how his dad controlled Roman or column A, column B? What do you think? I agree with you. That was a really interesting scene when I watched it the first time. I I, I wasn't sure I understood where Rome was coming from because I'm like this is a broken man like this is not somebody who like when he said why not me like I, I didn't really believe that he cared like it's clear he was, he was- yeah it wasn't even about that it was about just the stitch on his face looking too clean like he needed it to look look worse I think I would go with with door number two it's just his 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 sadism thing where he and, and yeah Kendall stepping into that thing where he's he's just big brothering him Right, like Kendall, you know, when 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 Rome was getting abused, we didn't get a ton of backstory into you know how their life was as kids. We we kind of get it in snippets over the course of you know forty episodes or whatever it is. Um, but we never got the impression that Ken was like the big brother who always protected his his other the other two from all the stuff that their dad did to them. And in in Rome's case, obviously physical abuse, uh, pretty substantial, like locking him in a fucking cage. Right, I think that was alluded to earlier on. So. 
Ken never f- fulfilled that role, but he definitely big brothered him in that moment where he's like, all right, like sit down. Like and even, even in the previous episode, he's like, you fucked up, you fucked this up. So I, I thought it was very much Rome uh, taking on that same relationship with Kendall as he had with the, with, with Logan, right? Where, where Kendall not really becomes the abuser, but at least at the very least becomes the manipulator. Right. And, and I guess yeah. in, in the end, when they have that physical confrontation does in fact become the abuser. So as far as where he ended up, I thought Rome was actually the freest out of all of them. Like he's, he, he's done with everything, right? He, he, he didn't want any of this. He's free of it. He's free of his actual abuser, his dad. He's free in what could have been another potential abuser had the, had the deal fallen through in Kendall. And he is the one who's able to reconcile that they, the truth that they are all not serious people like their father uh, was, was implying. It all just became so clear when we found out in the funeral, like what Ewan was saying um, about how Logan's parents, you know, what Logan and him went through as boys. And then when um, Logan's sister died because of polio and how um, Logan's parents like put that on him, like that's what that turned him into. And like I keep saying, man, the poison just fucking drips through. And um, I think uh, the actor uh, Cromwell was saying his thoughts about Ken at the funeral was that like that look that Ewan gives Kendall. It's like Cromwell was alluding to it being one of like the boy. It's a look of pity, but also that the boy is lost. He's tasted the poison. It's too late. What a luxury to have like James Cromwell pop up once a season. And just kind of fucking, fucking, just jack up a couple threes and have him go in. James Cromwell had a better fourth than Lonnie Walker in the postseason <laughs> against the Warriors. And yeah, I think I think I forgot who I think it was Jesse Armstrong himself alluded to that. Like it, what you were saying was right. Like Rome ended the series how he started it, and this whole thing has just been like a fucking detour for him. And now he just gets to go back to doing what he does. By the way, at the end, sipping Jerry's favorite cocktail. Just, uh, I think I think an incredible moment too in the series was when Jerry like confronted him and was like, "I could have gotten you there." Yeah. All right. Let's talk about Shavon Shivzandin. I know you tend to say like you want to like Shiv the most, but you also feel like they don't know what they're doing with her sometimes. Do you think last minute she just saw a better angle with Tom? Or do you think she truly could not stomach Kendall at the at that moment? Or column A, column B. <laughs> the bringing up the dead kid didn't feel like it was just, oh, I see a better angle with Tom. Like that felt per- like to bring that up, it has to be personal, right? So so undoubtedly she felt like Ken was not the right choice, and. I, I wish they did a better job of setting up the turn. And it goes back to my whole shift thing where it's like, sometimes she's smart. Sometimes she's dumb. It's like within the span of one episode, she goes from this to this. And, and obviously all of them have heel turns and, and double crosses and, 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 and all that. But literally like 20 minutes earlier in the episode, Tom told her that he was Madsen's pick to be the CEO. And she was pissed. Like you, that was probably the most pissed she's ever been on the entire show and then she goes from that to basically giving him the job deciding with him 
um, in, in at least in an in episode runtime in, in a very short span. So that felt a little bit strange to me. Like they do see it in a, a few of those moments where Ken sits on sits down on his dad's chair and and Shiv is giving him kind of the side eye when he when he puts his feet up on the desk and they, they have a couple moments like that. Um, but at the same time, it, it felt a, a little bit just uh, not fully believable. And I think that will be one of the the legacies of the show that that decision was polarizing to have Shiv turn at the last moment. Cause I really thought it was going to be Rome. I, I thought it was going to be a mirror of the first season where, where Ken loses the vote of no confidence because he's not physically there and Rome just can't bring himself to go against his dad. That was going to be a mirror of that, but we already got the Rome folding, but it just happened to be in a moment in private, right? Where, where Ken could take control of the situation and Shiv ended up being the one, I was surprised when it was Shiv, which I guess is a good thing. It's, it's always nice to be surprised, um, especially in a series finale where you kind of feel like you know where where things are going. That was the part I was thinking about even after um, the show ended. So to answer your question, it, it definitely felt like she didn't feel that Ken was right for the job, especially since Ken was already the CEO. Like Ken and Rome were CEOs for the first you know half of the season, and Shiv was frozen out, and she clearly felt so stung by that that she went to go on Madsen's side, right? So it, it wasn't like it was a complete surprise, um, but at the same time, it just, it it felt more impulsive than Shiv feels like she's supposed to be. Although I, I imagine, like the pregnancy thing didn't really have a payoff until that point. I, I think if she wasn't pregnant, I think that doesn't happen, right? But because of the baby, she seasoned in with Tom, maybe partially just for the game theory of it, maybe partially just as a move, but also partially like she reaches out to Tom earlier in the episode, or, or maybe it was the previous episode saying like, Hey, can we give this another shot? Can we, do we have a chance at being a real family? So you can, you can sense that there is some genuine emotion there. Um, so, so I'm, I'm kind of going back and forth as I talk it out out loud o- over the full run of the show over four seasons, it felt like for a show built on, very consistent, very well thought out, very well scripted characters. This was, insofar as there is one, this was the weaker link. Not not to call it a weak link, but the weaker link. Okay, I can see what you're saying. But I don't necessarily think that the ambiguity around Shiv's character should, is a weakness, per se. So I only gave you column A and column B, but I actually feel like there's, it's both of those, and I feel like it's a few more. Shiv is kind of at the core of a character, somebody who doesn't really know what she wants, but like Tom said, she can't fail a test. I think that is the core of Shiv's character, and when I say doesn't know what she wants, let let's not kid ourselves, she is self-motivated. Um just like every other character on the show, like I don't think her being slightly liberal like contributes to her being just better in this case unfortunately um because she's still very much part of the problems and and whatnot and um just think about where she starts though like she starts this insanely independent like woman with with her own fucking career and like life and everything i feel like it all just changes when logan offers her like i can make it you everything just slowly starts crumbling for her and she just starts losing sight of 
who she is and what she wants and that haunting image of like them holding the hands and like Shiv being on the other side of the relationship now. I I think yes, she could not stomach Kendall. Um I also think that you know, Kendall was the in their world of the three siblings, Kendall was the first born, but she was the only daughter, so I feel like that naturally kind of made her a little more competitive with him as well. And and like I I feel like the fact that she has is having Tom's baby and then notices realizes that Tom can be CEO you you'd be kidding yourself if you think that wasn't in her mind somewhere is is what I tell people that think it's like only one column I think Shiv just has these like fascinating ideas of how to free herself from from all this but kind of struggles with it and I think at the end she ends up in a place where she can just kind of survive and i feel like she's just kind of going to be a bitter person that takes it out on everyone else around her because she was this fucking close to 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 winning it all for herself and then lastly we do have mr l to the og himself ken kendall roy big big shoes I mean, obviously to me, I alluded to it that Ken's character is just easier to understand for me. I feel like it's safe, it's safe to say that the show was always going to start and end with him. I remember going into season four and like the first few episodes, I was like, man, I really hope Ken just like, just is, stays like big brother for his siblings and just like, is like all for their success and like working with them and trying to do Pierce and everything. And then like the fucking minute you get like i think it's the it's the the episode after the one where logan passed where he he kind of takes in information in these last two episodes and at the end with hugo he's just like do this unless you want the strap on and he does that like fucking evil ass smile and all of a sudden you're just like oh my god he's fucking going for it oh my god i hope he fucking wins <laughs> like is it's insane to me um but yeah give me your thoughts on kendall i mean he's obviously the big loser of the show he always fucks it up like when it matters the most right that, that, that seems to be the case and like even in that last scene he if he had just not said anything maybe shiv would have just come around maybe like you could talk yourself into like there being a chance for it, but he, the more he talked, he just kept digging himself like a deeper and deeper hole, and then he bungles the whole thing about confessing to a murder. He's like, "Oh, that was actually a lie," and that just makes the situation worse. And he just doesn't know how to handle like even the tiniest um, bit of success. He, he's, his life is just a series of mess ups, and somehow he has these moments which have him keep failing up because of his name, because he is who he is. Right, like say what you want about all these other like the Jerry and the Frank and the Carl and the Hugo and all of them, they at least in my mind, uh, Jerry being the obvious uh, headliner of this, they have shown some level of competence, right? Clearly they're they've they're there and they have been there for years and possibly even decades because they're good at their jobs, right? If if Ken was in their position, if he didn't have the last name Roy and he made all the decisions that he did and he acted the way that he did, he wouldn't be there. Right. And, and so I think he's a poster child for the show's method of like, hey, these people are all besides Logan. These people are all incompetent. Ken Ken is kind of the poster boy for that. He fumbles everything. 
he fumbles his family again for no good reason right he didn't have to he he threatens to stand in front of a moving vehicle that has his daughter inside of it because his wife or his ex-wife or whatever is expressing some concerns for their own safety right he he has a he has a a, a car following them around when he knows they're already paranoid without even actually going through the effort of of telling them you know he he his his assistant who's been loyal to him for years and years and years decides to resign because of everything going on and he handles that poorly so it just like yeah he, he's clearly the big loser of the show i didn't know how to interpret the last scene i, I don't know whether he was whether it was an implication that he was thinking about jumping um, i actually thought they were going to do a mirror to one of the earlier scenes in the show where like th- there's a lot of imagery with kendall specifically with water and with him like on high buildings just kind of looking down they've had a number of 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 shots of him doing that throughout the the entire course of the show and so i I thought that was kind of where they would leave it but obviously it's it's it it makes it more interesting if they leave it ambiguous but that was my my inclination is that he's just done and like he even said in that last speech to shiv in his desperate bid to to convince her he's like if i don't do this like i might just die right and and that was kind of the line that stuck with me as we got that last shot of the entire show Ken also alluded to this. He was, this was all he knew how to do. Like, and we saw like moments of his competency with like the living, like just the living plus presentation. I mean, obviously he fudged numbers, but everybody that high up in business does. And it's, it cycles with him, right? It's, it's like these manic depressive episodes, like with him, Kendall is the closest to Logan. He's also just, logan's son though like he's not he isn't him and and you know nate i really love that line that nate had because that's the kind of line that could have saved ken if he managed to listen to it the one where he's like hey you're not logan and that's a good thing but no he wanted to be so badly and i think at the end of the show he ended up the closest to logan just minus the company it was so interesting that colin was following him around too Logan was kind of like, and we saw this early this season. Logan was kind of like just a miserable old man around and around Colin. That's kind of what Ken has become. The way like the show plays with your fucking emotions, like you straight up thought this time was it. Like when he gave that smile to Hugo, I remember like everybody just being like, "Holy fuck, it's it's gonna he's gonna do it. He's a killer. He's a number one boy." Like, (laughs) yeah. At the end of the day, like he's he still is. He's he still is Logan's number one boy, but. But my God, he just lost everything. He is the least free. He is the most broken. It's it's insane. I just think he's such a fucking fascinating character. I'll quibble with you on one point. You, you said he's, he's Logan without the company. I, I would take Logan without the company and the competence. Like, I, I think the show has a really interesting way of saying, like, yeah, he's able to give a couple speeches now and then. But and that's sometimes enough to pass for competence in this world but he's still pretty freaking incompetent like every every time you see him in that office setting where he has a bunch of like the the lower level like the c-suite employees around him or he's he's trying to talk about anything business related even though he said this is all i know how to do even that's not true like he, he, he he's able to do just enough and the expectations for him are so low that he's able to like trip over the very low bar and somehow not managed to kick himself in the dick and that's just enough 
for people to be like, oh, well, I guess he's he's it's possible that he could be the CEO. Who knows? And I, I, I thought that was a, a very interesting way that the show chose to tackle uh, the the issue of it because one of the big questions I had for when Logan died was like, hey, this show has spent you know thirty plus episodes showing us how all these kids fucking suck at what they do, <laughs> and now your one beacon of competence is gone. So how are you going to convince me that in this whole you know, lowercase s succession of it all. How are you going to convince me that one of these kids is suitable to take over this company? And obviously it ended up being none of them, which I think makes sense. Like, I don't know if Tom is really competent. I, I couldn't say, but is he less competent than the other ones? Probably not. He He's, he's probably near the top if, if you're ranking all of them. I mean, I feel like Tom is eventually just did get good at his job. Like he ran ATN. He Generally speaking, running ATN successfully during an election means you have kind of have what it takes, right? But 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 then again, it's like like what, what, what through what lens are we viewing success? Like yeah, they had great ratings, but ultimately they, they had that one throwaway line in the episode. And, and again, the funniest part of some of this stuff is how little things matter. Like we had this whole big election episode, and then two episodes later, they're like, yeah, it's probably going to get overturned. Did you hear about the court case in Wisconsin? And it's a complete throwaway line. Like nobody gives a fuck about Mencken. Mencken's not even in the episode. Um, just just brilliant stuff. But yeah, like he had a great night of news, as as I think. It was either Ken or Rome who said that. Like we 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 made a great night of TV at the end of the election episode. But at the end, ultimately, he was a big contributing part of miscalling the election. Right? He his network called an election the wrong way. That result is probably going to be overturned, and that entire organization is going to lose whatever credibility it has left. So again, just just way, the way we view success can can be very misleading. Um, so again, to, to, I to mean, bring it, okay, hold on. It, hold on we've seen news channels in real life do this and and like not lose credibility right the election got called for Mencken nothing is probably going to happen to Mencken because as we've learned even impeaching a president doesn't really do much nowadays okay so I have asked you to <laughs> and, and I'm sure this was painful and I'm sure you're really mad at me about this but I have asked you to put together your top 10 television shows list, um, any genre, any time period, <laughs> ranked, and um, and then talk to me about what's like on the horizon for you television-wise. Like there's something you need to watch and you think could change your list. Um, there is something you need to like, you know what you're watching now or where you think you are with TV specifically at the moment. And, um, what would you recommend, uh, going back to watch stuff like that? So give me your, give me your top 10 TV shows. <laughs> Let me start off with what I didn't end up including on the list. Um, so there were a bunch of TV shows that are like kind of one season or limited series or things like that. I just feel like it's very difficult. Like when we're talking about movies, it, it's it's easier to compare, not only cross genre, um, which I think is harder in television, but movies are just they're, they're just movies, right? And, and even though a movie might be a part of a a franchise or you know a larger story or a larger piece of IP, it, it is kind of easier to isolate that movie and talk about it in and of itself. Whereas because you know, movies just have beginning, middles, and ends with TV seasons, 
obviously they have them, but it's it's less so. Sometimes it can be hard to compare something that has like one season of, of TV versus like eight seasons of TV. Anyway, so all that to, to say is that what didn't make my list kind of for those reasons it are the following. So Black Mirror, which I think is episode for episode, some of the best stuff on TV. But again, it's it's not even an anthology series in that they change out the, the, the story every season. Every episode is its own like individual thing, right? So I, I just don't feel right about kind of putting it in the same even category. Like I, I would actually want to compare these individual movies if we ever do a movie discussion. I don't want to throw some episodes of Black Mirror into that conversation. Um, so for that reason, I'm excluding Black Mirror. Um, the Dropout on uh, Hulu, which which is the it, it follows the uh, story of Elizabeth Holmes. It has um, Amanda Seyfried playing, playing Elizabeth Holmes. That show is excellent. It is fantastic. Um, but again, it's a one season limited series. Um, as is Sharp Objects. It's uh, it's the the one on HBO with Amy Adams. Uh, it's it's one of the the Gillian Flynn novels. Uh, her most famous one is that you probably know is called Gone Girl. The, that was turned into a movie with Ben Affleck, but there's a, a TV show based on one of our, one, one, one of our other books called Sharp Objects, and then finally Chernobyl, which I love obviously because of my background and things I care about. Um, I think it's it's very very good. It's uh, elite almost all the way through, but at the same time it's five episodes total. So again, just I, <laughs> it's real hard to compare stuff like that. I put one seasoners and limited. Ser- I included. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, that's fine. It's kind of how you approached it. Yeah, right, Chernobyl's actually on my list. Oh wow, that, that, that's that, I would not have put that uh, that that it made your list, but not mine. Um, yeah, no, okay. it's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, fucking fantastic television. Jesus, it, it's fucking incredible. The where they're in the courtroom is just that. That's peak oh, TV. Beautiful, um, beautiful, prestige television. Honorable mentions. Um, I have American Vandal, which again is is also an anthology series. It's really surprised that this one got canceled. It got canceled after two seasons at Netflix. I think this was in the the middle of the run where Netflix just randomly canceled a bunch of shit. Um, this is it, this is a mockumentary type show where it it, it kind of parodies all these true crime things. So the first season it, it takes place in high school and someone like drew a bunch of dicks in sharpies on all the cars in the parking lot. And the whole the tagline of the show is who drew the dicks. And the the, the first season's like literally an investigation. <laughs> I love American Vandal. I love American Vandal. It's amazing. That first season is, is awesome. But again, only two seasons. Plus, it's an anthology, so I didn't put it on. I have Luther, the show with Idris Elba. Um, it has technically five seasons, but they're like five British seasons. So they're like three episodes each or some shit. So it's like maybe 18, 15, 18 total episodes. Um, didn't put that on there. Loki. I love Loki. I think Loki's amazing. Um, but I, I don't feel right about putting anything on here until I see it as kind of a completed product. I have Atlanta on here. Too many episodes where it was just an okay show, even though at its peak, it was among the best. And then finally, you, you, you'll really enjoy this pick. I have Breaking Bad. I have Breaking Bad on my honorable mentions. It did not make my top 10. Crazy. <laughs> at least that's what I'm told. Yeah, um, it's, it's a great show, but you'll see why I didn't put it on my top 10. Okay, so I'll go in reverse order. I think the hardest part of the show was reconciling genres. Like, I see why we split like awards until like, even though it's not it's not perfect right like splitting comedy versus drama but i see why we have like some kind of differentiation you know be fun just because we're taking the time to do this when you talk about the show do the best pro you think and and do like a small con like you know check yourself a little bit on the stuff you like i think that'd be interesting so number 10 i have schitt's creek 
I did not know this show existed until the final season came out and it started getting a bunch of awards and a bunch of buzz. And I was like, oh, I guess I guess I should, I should check this show out. The The big pro is that it is laugh out loud funny. Like when I'm watching by myself and not with other people, I usually don't react because I'm just kind of reacting in my head. But this is one of those shows that just, it makes me laugh out loud. The small con is it's based on a bunch of insanely rich people who lose everything. So they start the show as like completely despicable characters, which again, in the succession kind of line of thinking, makes you think that you wouldn't want to root for them. So that might be the small con, but I guarantee you the, the character who is the most unlikable be, will become your favorite character. Number nine, this one, I'm, I'm breaking my own rule that I made up like 10 seconds ago about not putting shows on here that are not, that are not completed. And so number nine, I have Andor. We know it's only going to be two seasons long knowing what 50% of the show is going to be it allows me to to put this on here the pro is that this is the kind of stuff which in my opinion we need more of to make this like fantasy you know sci-fi all the stuff be taken seriously because yes it is a sci-fi fantasy show it has like futuristic weapons and occurs on multiple planets and has all this stuff but really it's a show about politics and a show about political systems and rebellion and all those those really big themes. The small con, I guess I would say, is if you truly want to get the full experience out of it, you have to watch some other stuff. You have to watch Rogue One. You have to watch you know some other general Star Wars stuff to kind of be fully engaged. Number eight, I have Sherlock. Um, this one I struggle with the placement just because it's been a really long time since we've had any new Sherlock come out on TV. Uh, and, and they've said that they want to do more Sherlock, but it just seems that with how busy all of the people involved are, they just haven't been able to make any more episodes. The last episodes we got were in um in 2017, I think. There have been only like probably 14 total episodes, um, but all of them are just very, I shouldn't say all of them. They do have like one or two ones that are a little bit over convoluted and not that easy to follow. But generally it's just very, very well scripted and, and, even though it relies on like technically IP because people know Sherlock Holmes, there's been a ton of books, obviously there are Robert Downey Jr. movies, etc. You don't have to know any of that. You can just be really enthralled in the detective aspect of it because I don't think there's enough like elite mystery type of shows on TV. I think The Outsider with Stephen King, the Stephen King show on HBO, that's a good example of a mystery show. Obviously, it, it leans into some supernatural elements because it's Stephen King. The small con of it is if you don't buy the Benedict Cumberbatch iteration of Sherlock, then it's going to be really hard for you to like the show. Number seven, this is another one season show, so I'm, I'm breaking all sorts of rules here. Um, I have Watchmen. I have HBO's Watchmen. This is a show that we've, I think, previously talked about on the podcast at length. I will say the con is it kind of struggle, suffers on a rewatch when you know a couple of the big twists that are going to happen. Um, but even then, I think it's 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 pretty great. Um, number six, and this is the reason that I don't have Breaking Bad on here, I have Ozark. Um, and I'm one of those people that think Ozark is a better show. I think Breaking Bad is, is for stretches there, carried by the performance of uh, Brian Cranston. And I think one of the big cons of it is that like the families are just not fun. In Ozark, you have... Like the wife, the the Laura Lindy character, she's just as good as Jason Bateman is. I and mean, sometimes she's even better than him and she's given more important stuff to do. 
you don't quite have a character like the Julia Gardner character in Breaking Bad. There's like no real equivalent. Obviously, Aaron Paul is there as Jesse Pinkman, but I think he is very, very, very severely misused for like about half the run of the show. Like he's just not important for a pretty large stretch there. They just give him kind of random stuff to do. Um, I think that's where the show suffers. And Breaking Bad also just has long stretches where it just kind of lags, like nothing really happens. Whereas Ozark, it feels like the momentum is different. The con is that you can certainly pick a bone with a part of how the ending plays out. And I'll just leave it at that because I don't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it yet. Number five, I have Community. At some point, this is probably my favorite show ever just because it's one of those shows where you fall in love with the characters, you like hanging out with the characters, um, and it's just, it's it's like nothing else on TV with just how weird and how meta and just how strange it becomes at times. The con is obviously that it has like, of the six seasons, three and a half to four of them are excellent, and then the other two to two and a half are just like, eh, like, this could have been better. Um, we could have thought this through. And you have major characters and major actors who leave the show midway through the run, which obviously doesn't really help uh, when it's the characters that you're there for in the first place. Number four, I have Veep. This is the uh, highest that I'll have a comedy, or I guess I should say a pure comedy on here. Julia Louis-Dreyfus being a force of nature. Talk about being laugh out loud funny, like I did for Schitt's Creek. Veep is just, it's fucking hilarious. Julia Louis-Dreyfus, she's able to curse. She, She has a mastery of like every curse word more so than anyone else I've ever seen in my life on TV or in, in, in my actual, like, in, in real life. The plot is actually surprisingly, like, coherent. It's not just one of those comedy plots where it's like, oh, things just happen for the sake of happening. Like, like Veep actually has a through line that you could follow. And I think it is actually at times a pretty cogent uh, satire of our political system, right? It's, it's not just an over-the-top, it's designed to be over-the-top, but at times it does manage to be um, pretty incisive and insightful. The con again is just if so I actually have one of our one of our mutual friends. He doesn't like watching incompetent people. He tried watching like Arrested Development and he couldn't stand watching it because of that reason. Um and so for that he's like I, I find it really hard to get into Veep. So if you don't like that, you won't really like Veep. Number three I have Thrones. Wow. Don't really know what to say at this point that hasn't been said. Even with the ending. Even with the ending and that's the con. Um I will say that on a rewatch, when you watch like everything together and everything in order, it's not passable and it's still not like even acceptable, but it's not the worst fucking thing in the world, like with, with everything that happened with, with like Danny and stuff. Just because you see what they were trying to go for. Now, could they have handled it way fucking better? Absolutely, but again, just on a rewatch, it's not quite as bad. Um so that's the con. Obviously the pro is that I think sometimes with with everything that happened with the ending, it's real easy to forget just how fucking elite that show was for like six to six point five seasons. I have Succession at number two right now. Do you remember what got kicked off for Succession? That's a good question. I feel really good about the shows I have in my top ten. I think there's a a drop off after that. I think I would have violated my my, my rule that I said. I think Chernobyl would have sneaked on there. Either that, or maybe if Loki, which is coming out later this year supposedly um if that happens to stick the landing then loki had a pretty good shot uh, at that 11 spot so yeah succession at number two and do you have any guess as to what's left with my number one no i don't oh you're gonna hate this it's the white lotus it's the white lotus baby wow yeah it's it's that good it's that good and i watched it i rewatched it because manisha 
uh, was 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 watching it, and I rewatched basically all of it, and I was like, "This is fucking phenomenal!" Like, I can't believe that only one person, basically, or as far as I understand, I think Mike White wrote all the episodes and directed all the episodes, and pretty much has a hand in everything except for the acting of the show. Seeing just how cutting and and, and how dark and how kind of accurate the satire is. It, it it's amazing. It, it truly is amazing. And the fact that he the, he was able to do it twice, like it was originally supposed to be a limited series, and it was so good, it, it got such positive reception to it that they asked him to come back and do this like basically into oblivion. Right? They, the second season came out. He's doing a third season, um, and I think the way that he's able to to critique, like he started off the first season was about like like socioeconomic exploitation. The second season was about sexual exploitation. The way he's able to play with these topics in a way that doesn't feel heavy-handed, the way he's able to almost perfectly cast all of these characters, it's just phenomenal. It's it's the one show that almost made me come out of my writing retirement. I actually have a, a completely finished piece in my drafts um, that I never got around to publishing, um, but it's just, it, it's so good. It's somehow, even though it's a comedy, it's a drama, it's all these things, it ha- it I think the best way to describe it is horror. And you won't know what I mean until you watch the show, uh, but it's just, it, it shows you the worst side of humanity while managing to be like a really compelling drama and a really funny comedy. <laughs> that's that's really high praise. Wow. Okay. Great, great list, I will say. I've seen half of your list. Three of yours are on mine as well. So I didn't add anything that still has story left. First, let me start with the stuff that I wish I could add. <laughs> um... These are the I wish I could add because I haven't watched them yet. And it's White Lotus, <laughs> Last of Us, The Sopranos, Breaking Bad, The Wire, and Friday Night Lights. I intend to watch them all someday. Yep, I should also say that I have not seen um, The Wire. Stuff I wish I could add just because I really liked it, but for some reason or the other, they are off the list. Neon Genesis Evangelion. I think it's a great anime to get into. I think I need to rewatch it and see where it stands really on this list. It could make the top 10 eventually, but there's like a bunch of, there's some new content about it. I heard recently. Anyway, uh, game of Thrones. Um, I love, but I can't reckon with the ending. <laughs> um, oh, wow. It didn't make the top 10. Wow. No, I, you got to stick the landing for me. I, I agree with you that I don't think it's as bad in, in context because I still think the big things that George probably wanted to happen happened. They just happened very badly. Batman Beyond um, and Batman the Animated new, the animated Series, um, you know, classic. These are like Emmy-winning animated shows. Like, it's, it's true. It's what got me so into animation and, you know, animation has a significant spot on my list. I know me and you kind of struggle a little bit sometimes with like animation and stuff and where it belongs and whatnot. Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I love it, but, you know, it is just, it is an NBC sitcom and and top 10 shows of all time for me have to be, even if you're going to do that, it has to be even more exceptional. I did put one NBC sitcom on here, though, which you'll 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 know. The number eleven that that was kicked off the list by Secession. Unfortunately, it was Insecure. Um, this oh, is a show. This is a sh- yeah no. This is a show that Pranavi got me into. We we started watching it from season one, and we were waiting on season four. And it has a soft spot in my heart just because I like COVID watch parties and 
stuff with her but like we just really enjoyed the show like it was just it's just my my pitch for it is like if you're gonna give me a show about people in their 20s and 30s that just are trying to just make it in their city one way or another and deal with a bunch of dumb drama and stuff that we all kind of deal with randomly there's not really a tactful way to say this at least give me minorities and at least give me my city (laughs) right like just that's kind of like you know friends uh, sure like you know how many other whatever like you know just even brooklyn 99 is in new york right like you know i don't know it feels nice that it's in my city and it's also like i think Issa Rae is just great so let's get into the 10 uh number 10 is the is a uh, avatar the legend of korra obviously don't need to talk much about this you know avatar is going to be definitely the last airbender is definitely going to be in my top three at some point but um and just my love for that world and how it shaped me and how it's i like it enough to put it (laughs) still on this list but it's it is number 10 for me uh my number nine is community you know you kind of hit the nail on the head just just how unique they were about being your like tv sitcom but no, just obviously went above and beyond. It's it's lower just because I feel like unfortunately it has the problem where like four of the six seasons are great and the other the last two are passable. So I think it kind of suffers from that. My number eight is Bojack Horseman, a really fantastic animated show. I think it's one of the best shows on Netflix. You kind of just have to watch it for yourself to really fathom what it's about. It's really hard to like pitch. Um, and unfortunately the con, I'm not doing a great job of pitching this. The con is it's very disheartening. Like it's a, it, it's a very sad show. Like it gets, I have been, the reason it's on this list is that there was one episode of that show where I legitimately, it just sat there stone faced, just like trying to take in what I just watched and not unable, not able to even like just overwhelmed by the, by the crazy sadness of what i just experienced check that out (laughs) i know that sounds super fun um it's just really good number seven is silicon valley Uh, you've seen this one right yeah i have um honestly i I don't know why i didn't give this show enough consideration i just instinctively obviously not having seen it or not having rewatched it since it went off the air instinctively i i in my head i'm like oh it was more inconsistent Oh, uh, but I think I need to go back and watch it again. Turns out I kind of like big business dramas for whatever reason, because <clears throat> you, you know, Secession's going to be on this list. I have my thoughts about the tech industry and stuff, and it's just kind of nice to watch a show that directly makes fun of everybody in that sphere and makes them out to be these characters that I do sort of end up caring about, even though, again, most of them are not great. <laughs> and, you know, I was satisfied with how that one ended, too. I remember thinking that they stuck the landing as well. Then number six is um, the one I alluded to earlier is The Good Place. I think it's just the best of all the Mike Schur shows. So like, you know, Parks and Rec, Brooklyn Nine-Nine and The Good Place. And I believe he was somewhat involved in The Office as well. Another one that I wish I could have put on this list was 30 Rock. Um, I think that's my other favorite NBC comedy, but at the end of the day, like, I think The Good Place just does, it takes it to a whole nother level. Like, the first the first season is like, ha ha ha, we're in heaven, and then the third season is like, guys, I think there's no ethical consumption under late-stage capitalism. Like, it's just, it's just, like, fucking wild how this shit goes down. And, like, the kind of discussions they just have about morality and, like, 
to be a good person like you truly need to have like good intentions but you also need to do good actions like it's just it's a very fascinating show Kristen bell is just a great lead i think uh jason is one of the funniest characters on tv that i've seen well acted by uh manny jacinto as well what's a con of the good place okay I, i can't think of one off the top of my head my number five is Chernobyl. Um, obviously, the con is it's like yeah, six episodes, but um, it, like we talked about earlier, phenomenal television, <laughs> just just incredible. It's it's one of those things where you watch it and you're like, yeah, it, it has to be on the top ten to, to be taken seriously. Like for me, <laughs> just because, or you have to at least like tell me you've watched it and or and acknowledge how great it is. It's my number four is Watchmen. Uh, as a big fan of the novel really really enjoyed with it i think this is like this is the way to take a work that shouldn't have been adapted any other way so like yes i think any of the dc like things they did after with the watchman character shouldn't have been done but i think this show was great i i know he's like said he's never gonna watch it and like <laughs> you know watchman wasn't meant to be adapted and i agreed with him uh but uh, i stop agreeing with him with this show because i think it was done really well my con for this one is the ending isn't like fantastic it's 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 fine you kind of feel like there would maybe could have been a more dynamic way to end it but um the pro in this is there's one episode of this show that i think might be one of the greatest action e episodes of a television show and just narratively as well how crazy it is i also think it is one of the best examples of where a retcon can be really effective there is only two superhero bullshit things on this list and this is one of them uh you know i know you're all tired of superheroes but trust me watchman show fantastic and it's only one season but i will say you should probably read the novel again and refresh it in your memory if you are going to go into this one i think it just i think it just makes the experience better my number three needs no introduction avatar the last airbender motherfucking four elements four nations avatar ang motherfucking goat fire lord zuko my just one of my favorite characters in all television no cons fuck it if you don't like the show i don't like you don't give a fuck that's it (laughs) that's the only explanation i have for this one um my number two probably will need a lot more explanation but um not if you know me very well um my number two is uh is daredevil i i just love this show so much it just it just makes me it just it just gets me (laughs) i don't know what else to say this show just gets me it's it's just look even i'm fed up with superhero shit but but I don't know, just the character of Matt Murdock just does things for me and just it's just so well acted with the action scenes are so fucking dope. All the fucking hallway fights, all the fucking staircase fights, like even like the battle and Jack flashbacks like are intense. And then all the stuff with Wilson Fisk as an antagonist. And then like they're really like I've like at this point, like I'm so fucking sick of the Batman Joker dynamic, like the 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 daredevil kingpin dynamic is what i'm about like holy fuck like this is that's like my new fucking like hero villain dynamic that i can't get enough i can't get enough of like 
it's insane how these two characters like they both want the safety of the city but like they they in their own like weird fucked up ways and and matt is trying to do everything he's doing from a place of good and wilson is taking like the power and control approach and oh geez it's just so great um i even like the supporting characters i like foggy i'm whatever with karen i think i think she's necessary for the show to go on but i do get people's like complaints about her sometimes like like you know like the whole karen flashback episode i think there is something there to her character though i think it is important to have her um i haven't seen punisher's actual show i like him enough again in relation to daredevil like their dynamic and i like him to kind of be there as like a foil for matt because honestly there's not much interesting going on that season in season two a lot of it just revolves around the Frank Castle Punisher stuff. I think season two is better than I remember it being on rewatch. Season one of the show is great. And season three of the show, I think, is fantastic. I think it, that's like the I think that's the best one other than other than a maybe slower season two. I would say no con for that front for me. And then my number one is is secession, as we have discussed at length so yeah damn made it all the way to your number one dang yeah all the way so just to put a bow on all of this obviously for reasons i might not be able to super like elaborate on in this podcast but tv is just in a weird spot right now in terms of a kind of where do we go from here for the future and i think it's important to look at it because television is to me just a celebration of human creativity there are obviously some serious conversations. I guess pundits would tell you that it, it looks a little bleak going forward with such like prestige shows ending and now streaming services being in like the positions they are in. I don't know. Where do you where do you think we go from here? Do you think things are being exaggerated and like, you know, we'll we'll have more prestige television in no time? Like what's your what's your take on this? I think it's always a little bit overblown. Like this was the big point of contention when Thrones was ending for how we felt about the finale. It was kind of this monoculture moment and what some people felt like would be the last monoculture moment. And ever since then, we've continued to have them, right? Like when Thrones ended, I think Succession was one season in, right? It hadn't really become like Succession Succession yet. It obviously, now that became the next thing, right? We have all of these, you know, franchise superhero tv shows at some point one of them is gonna take a stranglehold on the culture you know we have a show like barry which you know i wouldn't say is immensely popular or anything but it is a prestige show which is incredibly well done and it you know it's gonna get a lot of awards consideration so i think to say nothing of white lotus right Or, or, or a lot of these shows that we we talked about today have been within the last you know handful of years that's where we can wrap it up because I think I do agree with you and there is still so much content out there. And I still think because content was gotten so oversaturated as it's become the good news is I think there's always going to be something to watch. Yeah. Like we talked about a couple of episodes ago, um, even though uh, despite my desperate pleas, uh, everything can't be good. Um, there will always be something that's good. Um, and, and, and that's a guarantee. That's overrated podcast guarantee. And that's where we'll end it. He is. Are meta? My name is Sarah Jacob Nani. We love television, and you have been listening to an overrated podcast. Okay,